Hey everybody, this is Tommy. I want to read for you one of the reviews we got on Apple Podcasts. Thank you from Rim DC. I've been longing and waiting for this podcast. As a 40-year-old survivor of purity culture, I am just now discovering my inner sex goddess, along with D and reconstructing my faith. This is incredibly timely, and I'm so here for it. I had no idea there were goddesses listening to the show. I love, I love, I love knowing that I goddesses love that. are the listening. Inner goddess. I love it. So good. Thank you so much for leaving that review. And listeners, if you hear this, it helps us out a lot. So if you could just go ahead and anywhere you listen to this podcast, leave a review. We'd be really appreciative. Going to Arizona. Would you come with me? I can only do one of those. <laughs> it's a good one. <laughs> we should do some after dark episodes with you in character, your New Zealand <laughs> oh accent. Oh my gosh. Your Kiwi. Oh, yes, I'm so out of yes, shape doing yes. it. Yes. <laughs> I love Kiwi. Yeah. That's how we can do the sex stories episode. If we're all in character, then. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? They don't know what we're talking about. Yeah. Yo, when I was making love to Lady Gaga, <laughs> it was real sweet. There wasn't one funny part about it. <laughs> Funny parts. That would be that would funny be like parts. a great other bonus segment. Funny parts. Oh I got me some gosh. funny parts. From Milieu Media Group, this is Fun Parts. An exploration of sexuality and spirituality for anyone who's curious or convinced there must be more. With your hosts, Becky Patton, Latifa Alatas, Ashley Lusink, Luke Bronner, and me, Steve Weens. Okay, so we were in the conversation about, it started with, Ashley started us out with Mother God and us just talking about some of the ways in which we have experienced and how the flow of experiencing God divine in different ways, in different manners. And so I have a, a story that I was preaching here not long ago and I asked, the one of the things I brought in is I brought in this whole thing of this concept where it was the passage where Jesus is down on the beach and he calls the fishermen to come in and he tells them to throw their net on the other side. And so they throw their net on the other side and then they get this bounty and they're coming in and it's like, but they're fishermen. They are fishermen. So the story that I told was back in the eighties, I think when the Jesus, what would Jesus do bracelets? I don't know if you guys know those late nineties, late nineties, okay. my, in yep. the nineties. You remember those? those everybody colors. was wearing them and everybody's yep. like, and big billboards, everybody was like, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? And it felt like a default and kind of like a cop out. And I remember there was this moment where I'm driving down 394 and I see this big old sign. I mean, it's just a huge sign that what would Jesus do? And at the bottom, it says, think about it. And I just flipped the bird as I was driving by, I flipped the bird. And so anyway, and that's my, not what Jesus would say. <laughs> tell you that much, right? but it was like, there was something in me that just kind of got ticked at that because I was like, I don't know what, who the hell knows what Jesus would do, you know, but it's obviously must, must mean that he would do something different than what I would do. And it was like that moment for me, I was like, wait a minute, I am made in the image of the divine. So could I get a bracelet that says, what would Becky do? So anyway, in this sermon, I was, I was sharing this story, and I didn't share that whole story. I just shared a little bit about, have you ever thought about that, you guys? If we are made in the divine, the reality is, shouldn't be, what would Jesus do? Is what would I do that is like from the divine within me, instead of 
suddenly having this default that goes to somebody who lived 2000 years ago, because that's what we're all talking about. Right. Mm -hmm. And we have this certain element of that's the gold standard. And I think that's bullshit because I honestly think what it is, is if we all carry divine in us, and I believe we're all created in a divine image and we all have that in us, we need to pause and notice what would we do? I think it's more about personal, just pausing, being present. And I realize as I'm preaching this and there's all these people that used to wear these bracelets and everything. And everybody, as soon as I said, do you, do you guys remember, you know, the bracelets? What would you do? Everybody's like, yeah, yeah, I, I had one, you know, and everybody's all excited. And all of a sudden I go, oh, okay, I'm going to pop this bubble, <laughs> you know? And I, as I went into the story, I was very kind how I went into it. But there was that moment that I realized that have we stopped to think that what we would do is as sacred as what Jesus would do. And I feel like that's part of what has set us up to keep this Christ Jesus so far over here and separate ourselves. Like we have no capacity to think in a good way. We have no capacities. Our body gets taken over by something else. And it's like, no, it doesn't. It's just, we need to pause and notice what do we need to do right here? I think the work that has to happen before that is you have to stop believing that you are inherently evil, like that you were born broken. But that's something's been given to us, right? Right. That's, that's what I mean. Is like us. that's is, so long as the narrative is, I am ultimately wholly at my core bad. Then what would I do? Is always going to be the wrong answer. It's always you know my default state is to oppose the living God and. I don't believe that's true, but I think that I, I have believed that in moments. And mm -hmm. I know a lot of people who believe it in all of their moments and live as though that narrative is the reality. Yeah. So, I mean, I think there's work that has to happen before we can get to that place, which is, I mean, really the, I mean, that's, I guess that the whole, what would Jesus do is, is sort of founded on is like, don't trust yourself. Trust what I've told you about this character from scripture. I guess I never thought about it till the way you framed it up. Cause, and I would say like, I had several of those bracelets definitely grew up in that yep youth group era. And I never really thought about how much it creates uniformity and control in the sense of like, what would Jesus do is listed out. Like that was very much so of like, there's a clear cut. This is what Jesus would do. And you were taught that in youth group. And then anything outside of that was probably something like Luke, what you're articulating, something that would come natural or these certain things that were part of who you are, but we are to cut those things off. Mm -hmm. And I think part of my own healing journey was realizing like it, that goodness within me and my Ashley-ness was good. And the unique things that I bring are good. Like that was like a slow turn because of so much of this conditioning. So Hit the nail on the head. Well, and I think that that's a lot of where it's been hard for us in some traditions to see God as mother, because we've also created the whole narrative around the virgin birth is because obviously there couldn't be a birth that comes through someone that has already had sex. So it has to come through a virgin. And so we've set aside and we've made somehow that sex is inherently evil. And so there's no way you can possibly have sex. And that's actually, our forefathers literally wrote about that. That's like one of the quotes I, I'm going to read you a quote now from this book, Sacred Earth, Sacred Soul. And it's Augustine's asking the Pope this question about whether a man should be allowed to enter a church after he has sexually known his wife. 
And the Pope responds, it's not fitting that a man who has approached his wife should enter church before he is washed, nor is he to enter the church until the heat of his desire has cooled. Exact quote. The Pope proceeded to say that sexual union between a husband and wife was not in and of itself the problem. The problem was desire for sexual union. The fault lies in the bodily pleasure. Intercourse should only be for procreation, for producing offspring. So the teachings of the church, he concluded, give husband and wife permission, quote unquote, to have sexual relations. But this permission carries a quote unquote warning with it, namely to avoid taking pleasure in the act. This is this is like this is what Augustine of Canterbury is asking Pope Gregory on the matter. And basically, I mean, the paragraph before it, he's asking him, can women who have menstruated enter the church? And he goes, well, because they can't control that. If they've washed, then they can't enter the church. So I want to say our sordid history with our body, our physical, our sexual, even reproduction, sexual enjoyment has been written in a language that is around evil. And so that's one of the reasons I think it was like, if we keep the Virgin Mary pure, she's pure. And so therefore Jesus comes through this pure, nothing has touched him. And I just, if Jesus came to show us who we are capable of being, if Jesus came and I love in the last episode, Steve, how you were talking about, and I think Ashley, you guys are both talking about universal Christ. And there's something about that, that it's like, we want Jesus to be something other than who we are. And yet Jesus from Christian tradition chose to come and be human and must have seen something divine about that, that was good. You know, and I think, I don't remember who it was that I was, somebody said to me one time, well, you know, Jesus had a penis. And I remember that being shocking to me, like suddenly like, Oh my gosh, you know? And I'm like, no, and that I just had to get used to that thinking of Jesus with a penis. Jesus as a hu- fully human had desire. Jesus had erections. Jesus, I mean, if we really truly believe, and I think what's hard sometimes is, as a woman, I want to say what's hard sometimes is to be able to connect to that element of either you have to be 100% pure or you have to be you know, sporting a penis. I mean, it's like, those are the things. And it's like, wow, where do I fall in this? I don't, I'm not either of those. And so I think there's been a big setup for women for ages. And we know that the women are the responsible for the fall, whatever the heck that is. Cause that's not even in scripture, but it's like, there's this disconnect from the very humanity, the way we are created. And especially I want to say our fun parts. They're just, there's a disconnection because somehow they are evil. And I just think that so many of us have deep mother wounds and we don't know how to heal from those because the only perception, quote unquote, that we have is this Virgin Mary that was pure. And it's like, was she? Yeah, she was, I guess. I I don't know. I, I just... There's no way to actually know. We don't know. That's the irony. And that's what we're building everything (laughs) on. And that's what feels. And I think there again, we're building something on an assumption. Like, how does that help us heal? Well, and how does the idea that Mary was a virgin who had Jesus, why is that important to what matters about faith? Or why is that important to why that matters about 
does God love us? And are we able to love each other and ourselves and God back? Like, why does that matter? Why is that an important part of the story? I don't think it is personally. I think it can be if we understand contextually what it meant to be a woman in first century Judaism. Like, so the idea of redemption is especially relevant to, and maybe almost exclusively relevant to a woman in that culture who couldn't own land, who didn't have power, didn't have position. She needed, you know, the oldest living male and her father was her patriarch. And this is where like patriarchy, if you understand patriarchy, like remove it from the the way we talk about it today and understand scripture as this is a patriarchal culture, then there's actually some really beautiful things you can pull from scripture. One of them being redemption. So redemption meant that by having a child, by having a boy in her life, even if Joseph had left, she had a redeemer. She had someone who could have power, could have land, could make sure that she was provided for in her life. It's it's the imagery of being the bride of Christ is the idea that like Christ is our patriarch. The idea of like, you know, I'm going to prepare a place for you in my father's house. That's all patriarchal language that's meant to say, like, I am going to redeem you. I'm going to make sure that you have a place in this, like, patrilineal, patriarchal, and patrilocal. Those are the three contexts that says you have a place in the home of God. You have a place in my father's house. And I think that's really the only times that I think, like, the father language is vital to Scripture or vital to understanding of Scripture is, like, and that's why I don't want to remove God the Father and Christ the Son from the narrative. It's not because of, I don't think God has a penis, but I think God has the position of being the head of God's people. And because we get that narrative from a patriarchal source, I just think we need to understand that to understand redemption at its core. And then it becomes really, really beautiful. (laughs) I'm not saying it applies to today. I'm not saying that like we need to embrace that. I also just don't think it's the only way to understand redemption. I'm not saying it's the only way. I'm yeah. saying it's it's the way that I began to understand redemption. Rather than redemption being a ticket that I turn in somewhere and someone allows me entrance into a place, to understand like a Jewish, a first century Jewish understanding of redemption and what that word would have actually meant. It wasn't a religious term at all. It was entirely political. It was entirely like, it was a social term. And that's helpful to me, to my understanding of like the whole redemption narrative. I guess I just that all feels kind of challenging to me. And I like love you and trust you, not because I think that you're trying to enforce patriarchy at me or anything like that. But like my actual question was, why does it matter that Mary's a virgin? Which I'm saying, I don't know if that matters when I think about the things that matter to the, like the core of what faith is for. But also like when I think about it as like a story and I'm trying to understand a culture that's different than mine, like my dad was Middle Eastern. That's definitely a patriarchal, Mm -hmm. (laughs) still is today culture, I can definitely say not that all of that culture is not bad or wrong, but there are aspects to it that I think are deeply flawed, just like any culture has flaws and benefits probably. So like, I guess it's just problematic for me that it's still the way that most of our stories are framed. I agree that that's incredibly problematic. Like that's where I say, and I think I've said this on the show before, we canonized the wrong thing. We took the patriarchy from the store, but we didn't take the redemption from the store. We Mm -hmm. took the idea of like, oh, the Bible says that men should have power over women and women should be submissive. That was the wrong thing to take. We were supposed to, I believe, if we were supposed to do anything with it, 
we were supposed to look at it for what it was and then contextualize it to ourselves and say like, well, what, how does that fit in the context that we live in? And we've out, you know, I don't want to say, no, I do want to say outgrown patriarchy as an ideal, most of us. And I do think patriarchy is wrong. I don't think patriarchy oh, I know, is, I know that. is the thing that we yeah, would yeah. want to prop up. I, yeah. But I also think that like, that doesn't make it less important to the narrative, to the context in which all of this story that has created so many problems for us happened. The only other thing that's problematic for me about that structure is that Mary had no other option unless somebody outside of her like saved her. When I feel like we talk a lot around this table about the divine being in us, like not that I am God or Becky is God, but that like the divine lives and breathes in both of us and like interacts with each other. And so like, I guess like I know there are times where there's like genuine victims who need help. And I know there's times like where babies, like for example, need support and care. Like they can't raise themselves. They need like somebody to help them, you know? So I understand like outsourcing help, but the idea that like her only option was to have this like peace, you know, this male intercessory to help save her. Like that's just a sort of a problematic part of the story for me in general. But that's just how I feel. I'm not saying that like everybody has to feel that way. That's just, I'm noticing that like flare up in me, like when I'm hearing you describe it, you know, and it's like, my issue's not with you. It's just like, I I understand, I think what you're like implying, but yeah, I feel I'm getting stuck there. No, I'm just thinking about the conversation we had in between episodes about um, how much this is still part of our culture. And even Latif, when you're sharing the story about signing for your house, Oh, yeah. So when I was signing for my house three and a half years ago, I bought it by myself. And it said like over 10 times in the contract, single woman. And I pointed it out to the, what is it called? The place to go? The lender. Yeah. And I was like, does it say single man when a man buys a house? And he was like, no. He's like, this is just how it is. And when I refinanced that same house a year later, a female lender came to my home And told me like 25-ish years prior that she couldn't buy a house by herself without her father or brother or a husband to co-sign for her to own a house. And that was so recent. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm thinking what you're talking about, like her only options were. And it's like, those threads are still through. And I think that's why even when we talk about the topic earlier around Roe versus Wade and this this part rising up on us, the oppression we felt as women has been century, like it's still so heavy I feel. And I think that's part of this, like Becky, seeing you rise up in that conversation, like we've been fighting this fight for a long time. And I was thinking about this over lunch just before this, how to strip scripture of all the feminine language takes out, like we become invisible. Yeah. We really become invisible. And I feel like as women, we've been fighting a really long time to be visible. And that's still like, I think that's the anger around some of these different like social issues that pop up that this is a centuries old fight. You know, it's not just 50 years ago. It's, it's been a long time. It's tired. And I love, I mean, I love Luke, what you said about we canonize the wrong thing. I think like that is such an important piece of like what you're communicating. And I totally agree with you. Like we absolutely have canonized a lot of crazy things <laughs> and then claim that it was God breathed, you know? And I think that has given people a way to justify the bad behaviors that have perpetuated through time. But I think like, Ooh, and it's so hard because we're talking about a story yeah, that has yeah. been told and retold and told and retold. 
you know? So it's like, how do we even really know? I think it's safe to dislike that part of the story. I think it's safe to say like, I don't like that the patriarchy was a part of that context, but Mm -hmm. like, but to deny that patriarchy was a part of the context feels problematic to me to be like, well, I bet she had options within herself. And it's like, but that's not really the point. No, no, no. I'm not denying that that's the structure of what happened. I'm just saying that I think the thing I'm pushing up against is that that was like God's plan, like in the sense of like the patriarchy is a part of God's plan. That's what I'm pushing against, which I don't think you are saying, but it's like hard because the Christian tradition I was raised in is so steeped in patriarchy that patriarchy was a part of God's plan. And so like, even though I know that's not what you Luke are saying to me in this conversation, that's what I have been told for so long that patriarchy is God's plan and it's his best plan. And it's his best plan for me as a woman to make sure I have like a head of the household or, you know, like all those things. And fall in line to that. Yeah. And so like, I think that's why like, it can be, I mean, this is good that we're having this conversation, right? I mean, I think that's why these things are tender. Cause like the best part about this is I know you and I know that you are not trying to impose any of those things on me in yeah. any way. Like you're such an advocate of me as a woman and a person and you always have been and of tons of women. So it's like, I'm not accusing you of anything sinister. It's like, I'm just realizing that like, wow, even when somebody that I trust is saying something and it's touching this topic of patriarchy being infused as in this was God's design, it really makes me mad. Like, and it's because of the context of how I was raised, not the context of what you're saying right now in this last 20 minutes. I get that. I do want to say though, I appreciate that you know. Yeah that you don't assume that that's what I'm promoting. But I also want to say explicitly for anyone who doesn't know me, like <laughs> I'll say it on behalf of Luke as well. It's yeah, not like, what he's saying. Yeah. It's definitely yeah. not. And, yeah. but there is, for me, this was a significant part of my deconstruction process mm. and coming to a place of actually really caring about the context of scripture. Yeah. I don't even like the word scripture, frankly, but the context of the story that was given to us. And once I sort of was able to wrap my head around patriarchy as a concept, as a social construct and see it in stories of like, you know, the story of Ruth, the story of Hosea, the story of, you know, there's like countless places in the Bible where the patriarchy starts jumping off the page at you and you're like, and you still can hate it. And I do, I don't like that. That's the system. I do find, I guess the difference when you say that it was God's plan, I don't think that God designed patriarchy. I don't either. I think it's imposed. Yeah, yeah. I think God used us at our worst. He used a social construct that was entirely flawed to communicate to people who could pass that story through history to us, be it orally or through the Bible. And so I guess that's the only caveat that I would say is that like, I absolutely do not believe that patriarchy is of God. Right. I think that God can use anything, even patriarchy, to communicate the truth of the gospel. I think that this gets into the topic of sovereignty, which is another conversation. Gosh, and a trigger word. Yeah. (laughs) And and that is a trigger. I guess the truth is like, I don't believe, I used to believe that God is like in control of all things and can like use everything, quote unquote, for the best of. I don't actually believe that anymore. I think that God as a creator, this is just me. This is not like anything I've read. I just want to be so clear about this. This is just thoughts Latifah has, has created life. And now life is having its cycle and God is with us and participating with us in the sense of presence, but not in the sense of control or steering. Like, I think God is like this 
witness and witness, if you will, to the human process. And so like, I think that God grieves with us with patriarchy or God grieves with us when these broken systems are happening or God grieves with us when people experience abuse or like get separated from their sexuality and desire. Like I think God is witnessing and with us in if you want to say that. And so like, I do want to say that. Yeah. And so I think it's really hard for me to believe that God has the ability to control or maneuver or steer when tragedy is at play and then chooses not to, to me, that's like, the gadfly conversation with MLK, like to have the ability to intercede when injustice is happening and choose not to is just as terrible. And so like, how would that not apply to God? And so like, I think that's another reason why like I push against the idea of like God using bad systems to like still help us through. I think that the system is the system and God is just with us in the bad system, if that makes that's, and, that's a better fit for the theology that I'm adopting right now anyway. So oh. I, I'm thankful for that. I well, mean, no. I, yeah. So, no, I appreciate that. It's, it's just like, I think it's just all kind of still boggling up my brain. But like, it's so hard to make sense of these things. But like the other thing that's like coming up for me, even in this moment is like, and Lucas and I talk about this a lot. He has actually really helped me in this arena because he deeply cares about justice. And he's always like reading things and watching things and he cares about racial justice and he cares about women and he cares about like, you know, neurodiversity and like all these things. And he feels like so powerless. Sorry, I heard nerd diversity. <laughs> like, well, that's, that's really <laughs> helpful. We also him. care about yeah. that. Yeah, a lot yeah. of Lord of the Rings yeah. fans out there, but like me included. But an like... overlooked group, man. <laughs> um, And like how right now in society, like when we deeply care about certain issues on either side, like both sides are canceling people for saying something clumsy or like saying something and just being misunderstood. Like what you said just now, 15 minutes ago, was not clumsy. It was very thoughtful, but like you and I are having to figure that out, right? Because what I say and what you hear or what you say and what I hear. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. Like the things you said triggered me. But you, Luke, as a person does not trigger me so that I know that because we have years of established trust between us. So then I have to sit here and do the work and be like, why am I freaking out inside? Like, why do I want to cry? And why do I want to scream and shake my fists in the air? Because it's not at you. It's like, why is this feeling so hard and disruptive inside my body? Like my body's feeling unregulated, like, you know, like all those things. And it's becoming more regulated as we continue talking because there's trust between us. But I think what's so challenging when we bring up these kinds of topics, and this happens so much with sexuality and spirituality, is like we immediately jump to, you're a bad person because you're saying something that's possibly offensive to me or you're cornering me or you're oppressing me, right? With that statement. I know that you have no desire to do that. So it's, and you're not doing that, just be so clear. And so like, I'm really appreciating the space you're giving me to flesh this out, first of all, in real time. And also that you're still in the conversation with me. Like you didn't give up. Like you're still here talking with me. And you're not just kowtowing around. No, like you meant what you said because it matters to you. You know what I mean? But I think we're both willing to have our minds changed and hear what the other one's saying. And it's still hard. And I love you and I trust you. But it's really rewarding, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's kind of, it's just a fast, I feel like that's happening in real time right now. There are better articulations too of the thing I'm trying to say. And that's the other thing is I recognize my own limitations as a communicator 
so I would point you and other folks to, there's a book called The Epic of Eden. Okay. And it's by Dr. Sandra Richter. Latifa. Boy Sandra, girl Sandra. Just curious. Not Sandy. This isn't Sandy. (laughs) (laughs) This is, uh, but for you specifically, I would say just read the first three chapters. Thanks. Cause I can't read a whole book right now. Yeah. 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 Just the first three, the first three chapters are what really got into this for me. And like, it was like a veil had been lifted for Mm. me of even getting into like first century Jewish architecture and the way that that actually informs the stories in ways that we completely miss. And yeah, Ashley, I think you'll love every, every actually, you I get think, to read the whole book. I think yeah. The, yeah, the, the rest of you will actually <laughs> love almost the whole book. Like no baby L- Luke knows yeah. that I'm like, I'm probably not going to read that whole book. The yeah. last whole book yeah. I read was the, probably Universal Christ. So, the yeah. first three chapters you can read in 20 minutes. And I, and I, I can, really think I that you'll that. be like, this is actually really compelling. Yeah, And for me, it untied a lot of knots of like yeah. things that were really problematic yeah. for me in, in the Bible. There are moments in the book, I just want to be on the record as saying, Sandra's awesome. She's like, we've emailed some, she's amazing. But there are moments in the book that get a little like, you can tell it was through a Christian publisher that was like, oh, we need to make this a little more jesus <laughs> But the guts of those first three chapters are like cool. really, really beautiful. So Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Epic of Eden. The Epic of Eden. That's part of the, the Book of Longings was so interesting by Susan Monk Kidd. We talked about it a little bit in the last episode. It was so revolutionary because she pulled in so much of like the first century Jewish culture and how women were treated. It. And to me, it was like, this is happening right now. Like this, is, it doesn't feel like old. It feels current. And it was, it got me really fired up. Mm. So. I wonder if a nerdy 30 might be helpful right yes, now. Hey, we are all about nerd diversity on this <laughs> yes. Nerd diversity. Nerdy, 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 So it's May right now. It's middle of May. And so spring is here and pretty soon summer. And then after summer, fall will come. And after fall, winter will come. And that is how the world works. The seasons. We don't say, well, God woke up this morning and decided that this year spring is going to happen and Mm. this year summer is going to happen and this year, you know, fall is going to happen. It's just in the fabric of our universe that the seasons happen and, you know, this is how we, yes. And so it's a little silly or, you know. Why do bad things happen? Why do earthquakes happen? Mm. You know, why doesn't God stop an earthquake? Because it kills so many people sometimes. And But the tectonic plates must shift in order for our planet to survive in the way that it has to survive. And so if you believe that God created the world, you may believe that, you may not believe that. But if you do, you have to ask the question, what kind of world did God create? Did God create a world that operates like you read in the book of Job, that in the storehouses of heaven are a bunch of snow and rain, and then God pulls a lever (laughs) at certain moments and then drops the snow? The the great Oz. Yeah. Yeah. Or do we believe that the world is operating according to the way that God made it operate? And God is not up there deciding and even putting systems in place of patriarchy or whatever. It's just, this is the order of the universe that is happening with free will and human action, human agency. You know, the beauty of the story of the garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve go toward that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The dilemma is not, 
around morality. It's around the question, how do people grow up and how do people learn to operate in a world where there's going to be choices to be made and there's going to be agency and there's going to be action. So to me, I don't care. Like it does, that's not the moment of sin. That's the moment of maturity. That's the moment of choice. That's the moment of, and then the whole rest of it, even if you read it, it's just what you just said, Latifah, in that moment of choice. And even if it's a bad choice, God is present. God is there. God is with. And that's the whole story, right? And so for me, God's got this and God is in control and, you know, God's going to make a way where there is no way and all that stuff. I do believe in some way God is with us, but in God's sovereignty, God created a world in which all these things are happening because of human agency and because of the natural order of the universe. And that's just really how I've made sense of the odyssey and the problem of pain and the problem of evil. I don't, I don't, and that's even sometimes why I think, you know, is it really possible that God does miracles or something like mm-hmm. that? You know, because if God does do that and sometimes, and God doesn't do that other times, that's where I really have a problem. Right. Mm-hmm. I think the other narrative that's at the core of sort of how we function in the world is that we tend to think of, the world as a thing that God created for us, his special people, rather than yeah, us as right. caretakers of the world that God created, as though we are the thing God loves most, and the mm. world is just a resource for us to use and abuse. And use so up. and so it's easy then when you see death, even, you know, be it from natural whatever. That's a good point. It's like we interpret that as God failing us or as God, you know, where it's really what you said. It's the earth being the earth yeah. that God created. Yeah. And I know that's like a tricky place to walk, but it, I think it is healthy for us to get out of the mindset that we are at the center of the story. Yes, yes. 100%. That's really good. That's good. And I want to say one more thing. What I just said about God creating the world and the world operating according to the way the world operates, I don't think that takes God off the hook. Mm-hmm. I, I don't. Like, that's not my point. I think we can rail at God and get angry at God and, and interact with God. And, and that's all part of reality, too. You know, like I, we're not going to solve that one, you know, like we're not going to solve the problem of pain and evil and suffering. I mean, I, I don't know. David Bazan has this great record called Limbs of Branches or Cursor Branches. Cursor Branches. Cursor Branches. And I really relate to that track, but it's like, I, I just, I don't think God created patriarchy. I think men created patriarchy. And totally. I, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. 100%. And I think that like, you know. God gave us agency and choice and that includes us making bad choices, you know, and that is hard. Sometimes I'm like, but why, you know, like why that way that I don't know. And I I think that's, that's what I'm saying. Like mm. that is a little hard for me. And I I think you're kind of saying the similar thing. Like there's things that like, we can be frustrated about that. Like we can be frustrated that like, that we're capable of such great evil, you know? Right. Right. Like, we can shake our fist at that and be mad at that and not really know why that that's in the design, you know? Well, and, and I agree. What is in the design? And, you know, part of it we is just, know. if I want to understand my friend Latifah, I need to understand that she has a Middle Eastern father who is patriarchal. That's not good or bad. Just part of the story. But if I don't understand that, I won't really understand Latifah. Yeah. And I, I think that's part of 
understanding this, the context of Mary and, you know, and by the way, that's fair. The reason why, the reason why it has to be a virgin birth, according to Christian theology is so that that's the only way Jesus would be not sinful. And that's so crazy though. Listen, (laughs) but, and the only way Jesus could be the sacrifice that really did satisfy God's wrath is if he was the perfect sacrifice had to be sinless. So you're just and having that's, to buy into a lot of yeah. ideas. It's also, yeah. though, if for you, your feminist yeah. impulses, like that also means that the sinful part of Jesus would have come from the man and not from Mary. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's good. Touche. Yeah, a, little, a little balm for the wound there. <laughs> it's just, I mean, I hear what you're saying. You no, just have no. to buy a lot of things that's being sold. But that, that's what I mean. Like, if you yeah. don't buy the latter things that I just mm-hmm. said, you certainly don't need to buy into the virgin birth. Right. Like, and you know? I think that's why it's easy yeah. for me to say like, well, why does that matter if for that, me yeah. to want to be kind to my neighbor? Like at, at, the, at the end of the day. <laughs> and so, but like I used, that used to really matter to for me. For sure. For yeah, sure. And I don't want to make light that it still matters to many people. Like I'm not trying to say you're foolish if that matters to you. I'm just saying that <sighs> but, but, I'm but, in a different place. I know. And, and, but, but it, like I always, you know, I believe in the virgin birth. It's right there in the apostles creed yeah. and, and stuff. But like, <laughs> Who really knows how to believe in that? Like, you know, like it's <laughs> such a, and I'm not saying I do or don't. I'm just saying yeah. like, wow, like we, that just flows off of our tongue. Like as if it's the easiest thing in the world to believe. Yeah. And like, have we ever we, thought about that? We really, yeah. we, really? And I love believing in the fantastic or the impossible. I yeah. mean, I'm the first one to jump on board with like, could ancient alien theory be real? Maybe. Every freaking season with the ancient aliens. So <laughs> Here not, it comes. Well, you believe in Lord of the Rings. Too. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I was just going to say, yeah. I'm not saying that it's true. I'm just saying we don't know if it's not true. Like, that's all yeah. I'm saying. And I could say the same thing about yeah. the virgin yeah. birth. Yeah. Could be. I don't know if it's true. Yeah. Could be. I don't know if it's not true. But like, does it change how I want to live my life today and how I want to treat myself and those around me? No, there are things that would probably change my mind. And those are the things that I like, I really need to flush out as I like mature in my life. Right. Like, yes. So it's like, I don't want to waste time. It's fun for me to think about like ideas and space and like all these things. Like that's more of like a fun intellectual exercise, but like the soul practice Mm -hmm. of like, what does matter and how does that change how I interact with the people around me? That's the work. That's the necessary work. And that's the work that like we're doing at this table for me, like trying to be like, okay, so like how I treat myself and my desire I'm learning has a direct correlation to what I believe about like myself and all people and God. And that changes how I want to treat myself and all people and all God, like God, you know what I'm saying? And so like, it's worth investigating. It's worth like figuring this out for sure with people I trust, you know what I mean? And so like, I'm so grateful for the work there. Well, I think there's something like the quote that I read earlier. One of the things is we need to recognize there's a story that's been going on a lot longer than just right now. And so there are so many things as we're, we can get caught in the weeds of a lot of things, but I think being people rooted and made and created in like this baby create that you and Lucas have created, you created that in love and you want to bring that child forth in love and you want to bring that child up in love and you are going to bear witness to things and you are going to be with him in his life. And that to me is more of an example of getting to live in the fullness of how we've been created, who we are as creations and how we'll continue to be creators in this world. I love that. Before we jump off, 
I just want to say, and I think we've said it, but I want to say it again. Because we I'm, are patriarchs. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are. No, no, no. No, what I want to say is like, I know that we have probably a lot of nines listening or people who <laughs> conversations Latifah like you and I were having can feel really tense oh, we're to cool, certain listeners. And I just want to say yeah, like, that's you. a conversation we're having in love. It's a yeah, conversation yeah, yeah. that we have off the mics yeah. and that this is part of the nuanced dialogue around spirituality at the very least and the ways in which it informs sexuality and purity culture and the things that we're all, the knots we're all trying to undo right now in our lives. And so I just, I just want to make sure that people know, like, we're cool. Yeah. This is a conversation we both signed up for. Yes. And the best conflicts are the conflicts with ones you trust. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there's no one more trustworthy than me. Yeah. I was going to say that. The other, there was, there was a, as the patriarch of our group, I would agree. I mean, no, (laughs) but the, the, actually the thought that, that I wanted to get out that, that I was leading up to was to say that like your theology has long, for a very long time informed mine and shaped mine. And it continues to do so. Like I learned so much from you as a matriarchal figure in my life. And I mean that so sincerely. It's really nice. That your theology has been shaping mine as it has evolved for like over 10 years. And I'm just so, so thankful for the way that you think, the way that you engage with God, even with your mad with God, even when you don't believe in God, like (laughs) all of those things are so formative to me. And I just wanted to make sure that that's, also on the tape for people who <laughs> may be uncomfortable with our conversation. I learned a lot from you too. Thank you for saying that. That's really Absolutely. kind. Oh. Yeah. All right. Let's sign off on that note. I'm not crying. You're crying. <laughs> <laughs> this episode of Fun Parts was produced, edited, and mixed by me, Luke Bronner. Our artwork was designed by the very talented Alan Lusink. All the music you heard in this episode was composed, produced, and licensed by the fine folks at blue.sessions.com. Check out our website at funpartspodcast.com and be sure to follow us on social media at funpartspodcast. Lastly, if you want access to bonus and behind-the-scenes content from this and other Milieu Media Group shows, join our neighborhood at the Patreon link in the show notes. And now, here's a scene from the next episode of Fun Parts. If somebody that I'm attracted to said something arousing or sexual and it put me in the mood, I don't know if I have any limits. Maybe scrotum. I mean, that that feels like a medical word. It doesn't feel like a turn-on word. Wow. You know, if he was like, get into my scrotum, I'd be like... What the hell? That's sort of weird. (laughs) You were asking. I'm trying to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just the scenario you created was... (laughs) Get into my scrotum. Wow. Wow.